0: Claptrap, episode 11, geocaching. Hey, Claptrap Country, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we have a guy named Nick Rush on as our guest, and Nick is going to be talking about a hobby that has been gaining steam over the last 20 years. It's known as geocaching, and with kind of the rise of smartphones and everything, it's made this hobby a little more easy because everyone has a GPS in their pocket. And Nick went to college with us and got us involved in geocaching while we were there. It's a really fun hobby, and we thought we'd have Nick on to bring that hobby to you guys as well. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Nick.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
2: (laughs) So, Nick, today we're going to be talking about geocaching. We know, I mean, back in the day, you kind of introduced me to it. I think he probably introduced you to it as well, Kyle. Can you do a little background about what geocaching is?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, I was introduced to it in college by my first roommate as well. I and mean, we, we did a lot of it back in Akron. You know, love to share, share it with people because it's a fun group, group activity. But yeah, basically for the uninitiated, it's essentially a uh, outdoor treasure hunt game that uses GPS devices to locate hidden objects in the world or to solve puzzles. So typically what that looks like is someone will hide a container out in the, the forest or in the city or, or anywhere. You know, normally it'll have a logbook and maybe some items in it. And the goal is to use your GPS to get close to the location of the object, find it. It's usually pretty well hidden.
2: Oh, you mean you mean there isn't like a big blinking sign saying, "Hey, here's the geocache."
1: Well, to to kind of uh, to elaborate, there sometimes they are poorly hidden. Some of them are very easy. Some of them, yeah, you know, there's there's kind of a whole scale of difficulty. Uh, the, the fun ones are the ones you have to actually search for, though, the ones that present uh, some kind of challenge. It shouldn't be completely obvious, in
0: my opinion. But Did you ever have to steal the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> no,
1: no, I've yet to find the Declaration of Independence or any important document within a, a, a geocache. Usually it's like little trinkets and things like that. Nothing of value.
2: <laughs> so these are just trinkets that random people are hiding out there. This isn't like an organization or anything like that. This is more or less just people who want to be outdoors and and look for like a treasure hunting thing or or how does that integrate I guess into into the world? How do you get into geocaching? We
1: can get into the history maybe in a bit cuz there's actually there, there's a lot of interesting history to it, but there is an actual official organization that runs the geocaching website and they kind of host the servers that hold all the data about GPS information for where all the the caches are, as well as, you know, the the logs and records of the difficulty and terrain and history of each cache. So there is an official governing body, I guess, for this thing that maybe is not the right term, but it's driven by the, the people out doing it. So it's completely community driven in that uh, it relies on us to go out there and hide caches out in interesting places and give them interesting stories. Well, ideally, that, that's sort of my ideal. A lot of them aren't super interesting. They're just kind of, hey, it's another checkbox to to tick off.
2: Woo! You you found me! Yay! But yeah,
1: in an ideal case, you know, you, there's some interesting story to the location, or or it's just an interesting place that you found. So yeah, it's it's community driven in that it relies on us to to hide the things and then to go out and find them.
0: So where typically do you go to do this? Are there ones in the city? Are there ones more rural, like out in, say, like a national forest or something like that? Because I feel like it would be a good add on to something like hiking, where you have like a secondary activity that you can do while you are going on that hike.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just looked this up earlier because I was curious myself. There's actually 3 million geocaches worldwide now. And so as you can imagine, it, it covers every bit of terrain. It covers urban to rural to, like you said, parks everywhere you could conceive of. Strictly speaking, they they actually, there's no rule against uh, extraterrestrial ones as well. There actually was a geocache on the International Space Station for a while <laughs> in, a, in a drawer, I think.
2: That sounds like a bunch of BS there. It's like, come on, dude, who who can actually get that? There's like if your other buddy on the space station knows that you play and like, ha oh, I found your geocache.
1: <laughs> That's quite a high barrier to entry. That one. I would say that one most people will not be able to get just for anyone curious, go on, go on the website. Uh, I think nowadays you have to sign up to look at the the map, but just go around and look at the map because you'll be amazed at where these things are located. What struck me when, I first got into it was all the pinpoints on the map where caches are hidden and they're all over places. I always hung out as a kid or in Akron where I was when I learned about this stuff. It's right on campus or it's right down the street. We walk by these things all the time and no one knows about it unless you're looking for it. So it's, it's really fascinating in that sense. You know, there's some that are as North as I think it's Svalbard or something. There's like the super Northern island or, or in like the top tip of greenland there's some that are on antarctica there's a bunch just in the middle of the pacific ocean
2: depending on what time of year you might not be able to get to that one geocache huh buried in ice right
1: it's actually quite literally true there are some that you you can't get to until there's a thaw a certain amount of thaw that happens it's that's wild yeah and you know just to to keep talking about the the different types of that you can find all the ones that that us three ended up looking for. they're, They're very traditional ones where it's, it's just a container on dry land. It's not, it doesn't require any special equipment to get to, I suppose. There's some that are up on cliff faces where you need hiking, climbing equipment. There's some that are underwater where you need scuba equipment to get. Who knows what you can find out there in terms of, I guess it depends on what level of adventure you're looking for.
0: Do you know what would be a great place to hide one of those? Where's that? That giant Pacific Ocean garbage patch. You throw it in there, you would never be able to find it.
1: That's a, that's a fantastic idea. That's a really good idea. <laughs> I mean, that that thing's the size of France, isn't it? Isn't that the metric they use? Which I feel bad for France because they're used as a unit of garbage. but <laughs> But yeah, you're right. Yeah, you'd never find it in there. <laughs>
2: And most geocaches, like we were talking earlier, it's not like you're just traveling or walking out in the open and you find this. Like you mentioned, you really have to use this, this geocache app or, or map, however it integrates with your navigation system to give you an idea of where it is. And then basically, like you said, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Is there like a size limit or is there like any guidelines to what the caches can be or can't be?
1: I don't know that there's a there's limits per se, but uh, there are standard categories that each cache will fit into from, I think it's called micro all the way up to extra large or maybe large or something. So what that means is extra large, which are pretty rare would be like a, a giant ammo can or like a, a big barrel or a bucket or something really big. Very obvious once you get near it kind of thing. If you go down to like a regular size, what they call regular is, is sort of the most common. And that would be like a Tupperware sized, uh, container or, or maybe a, uh, uh, like a large pill bottle. You see those pretty often you get into small and micro, you get into uh, film canister size, you get into small pill bottles. The smallest micros I've ever found are uh, they're unbelievably unfair. These these will make you angry if you're you're searching for these. They're um, probably like ten millimeter diameter. It, it's kind of like a bullet casing. It looks like with a with a screw on lid, and there's only room inside of it for a, a super tightly scrolled, uh, rolled up scroll of, of paper. It's it's very awful. It's awful to get the paper out. It's awful. It's awful to put it back in, and they're hard to find. But but yeah, those are the most challenging ones visually, <laughs> as you can imagine.
0: What's the most interesting thing you ever found on a hunt?
1: That's a good question. I see. I I don't have I I don't exactly have a ton of, of finds to my name, but I think the definitely the most interesting thing I found inside of a geocache was a snake. (laughs) There was, there was a, there was a bucket that I think was somehow compromised and, or someone left the lid open enough that a, a snake could get in there and that scared the crap out of me because i'm not uh, you know an expert on snakes so i don't know which ones are dangerous within a second it was it was obviously not a not a dangerous
2: snake it wasn't like a sprint it wasn't like a spring loaded one that like shot out at you
1: <laughs> no no it wasn't rattling so but it it freaked me yeah. out cuz it started to it started to move around and you're not expecting anything in the bucket to move <laughs> so.
2: Just gave me my idea for the cash. I would hide. I'd hide one like one of those Jack in the Box, you know, Pringle cans. You open up, and that thing jumps out at you. <laughs> it's
1: it's interesting that uh, they had this, and you know, someone did something dumb to make this happen. But there is a specific rule against booby trapping them. There's been controversies and issues that have happened, but I don't know what happened specifically to cause the booby trapping rule to be <laughs> enacted. That's just illegal. That just, that doesn't need to be like a rule of the game. It's, it's, that's just illegal.
2: <laughs> right. Don't step in the bear trap I put in front of my geocache or I'm going to go to jail for chopping your foot off.
1: Right. And it, it may be worth mentioning, since we're talking about rules, there are some rules, which I don't remember exactly all of them, but like you can't uh, you can't bury it. You can't, uh, I think, I think burying it is to prevent people from digging holes in the forest randomly to try to find it as well as in case, you know, you, you probably hit some underground lines or something dumb like that, depending on where you've hit it.
2: Right. Someone out there would go dig a nine foot deep hole. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: The excavator cache, you got to bring your own backhoe.
0: It would be like in Space Jam when Michael Jordan disappears down the golf course hole when the. Looney Tunes suck him down there and his assistant or whatever is out there digging up the golf course and he just tells the other golfers that he's fixing a divot. Exactly,
1: yeah. You can't put uh, weapons or drugs or explosives in them. That's another rule. Probably a good rule. <laughs> Geocaching would be a great way to discreetly sell drugs to each other. If you guys both know knew where a geocache was.
2: You just made someone a lot of money.
1: Yeah,
0: maybe I shouldn't have said that. So, fun fact, back during the Cold War, the CIA would actually use a similar kind of method in order to transfer information between two different spies. So when the spies were in Moscow or something, they would prearrange a location to drop information, like in a park or something, and they would place the information inside a capsule that they would then stuff inside a dead animal carcass, like a squirrel or something. So most people wouldn't mess with a carcass so that's why they would do that but then they would also have to treat the animal carcass with some kinds of hot peppers or something in order to keep animals from devouring it but that was one method that they used back during the cold war which i thought was super interesting when i learned that oh man new new
1: cash idea right there the the carcass cash Actually, it, I wonder if, if it was taxidermied so it wasn't like gross. I wonder if that would be within the regulations. Because no one no one would be expecting that.
2: You taxidermy a crocodile and then put it like at the edge of like a little a little a little creek or something, and then his head sticking out. <laughs> well <laughs>
1: I don't think <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna do a crocodile that might be a little too obvious that something's amiss, but I was thinking a squirrel would be perfect. Cause you see dead squirrels all the time. Someone would think, Oh, it's just roadkill, but it's actually got a film canister shoved inside of it somewhere. <laughs> I know what I'm doing this weekend.
0: So earlier you were talking about how some of these geocaches can be quite adventurous to get down to whether needing special equipment or whatever. Have you done any that are really dangerous or interesting?
1: this is the part where I plug, plug my own caches that I've uh, placed because I've never actually gone on one that's as dangerous as one of the ones that I've placed. That may say a lot about uh, myself as a person. But anyway, so back kind of where I grew up in Geauga County, Ohio, there's sort of a glacial ledge park there. It's, it's actually a very, very cool park considering there's absolutely nothing else interesting where I live at all. But that park, you know, I used to spend a lot of time there as a as a high schooler and grade schooler, and it's like the perfect place to hide this kind of cache. Well, this, when I say glacial cliffs or ledges, these are, you know, 50, 60 foot high cliff faces and, you know, pillar, basically these rock pillars that are sort of freestanding at this point from, from erosive effects. And I decided to put one of these caches up on the top of one of these sort of free climb basically like a free climbing challenge, which made a lot of sense for me back uh, when I was maybe in better shape. I'm not, I'm not sure sure I would want to go for this one anymore at this point.
2: So you're, you're saying you can't take care of your cash now.
1: I, I still can. I, I stop by once a year. It's just, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really harrowing now. Whereas when I was younger, it was, I thought it was, you know, not so bad. <laughs> it seems a lot more dangerous now. Maybe that's just getting old and boring. I don't know.
2: Oh, no, yeah, it happens to all of us. So then what you need to do is find like a protege and teach them where your location is and like hand it to them and make it their geocache.
1: Well, I tried doing that. So I had I got my one set of cousins involved in this at some point, and they're all very spry individuals. So they they can take the the torch from me, I think. (laughs) But this is like a 20 foot climb with at least a 50 foot like sheer drop on either side of where you're climbing. And at the very top, you're on this really exposed like rock ledge. And then on top of that, once you're up there, it's also very well hidden. So that, honestly, the one I've hidden is probably the most dangerous one I've actually done. But I know there's, like I said, there's some out there that are absolutely insane. Anything that's, you know, scuba related or or where you're on a boat is inherently dangerous. And then there's some that are, you know, they're like on the way to Everest or something, you know, or or K2 or, or something. These are like serious hikes. So, yeah, there's huge variation in the level of terrain difficulty you can find for sure.
0: Have you done any down in the Virgin Islands? I know you have an uncle that lives down there.
1: Yes, it was called Cass Key. And by key, I'm saying C-A-Y. It's the I think it's like a sandbar or something is a key. If I'm thinking geologically what that means, maybe you guys know. But Cass Key is a little, it's sort of like a, like an elevated sandbar formation off the coast of St. Thomas that we ended up having to take a canoe across a a span of ocean. I say a span of ocean. It's not that dramatic. It's like, it's probably like a mile or so across the water. To get to so on top of that being just a beautiful location in the Caribbean, you know, it's, it's, it's a very cool way to, to do a geocache, you know, any kind of adventure like that makes it a lot nicer.
2: Like what a nice way to go spend your vacation. It's an adventure and it's probably not that expensive to do. You might have to run a bike or something or pass to go on the, on the path or whatever you're going, but
1: it's nicer than the, your standard magnetic cache behind a guardrail in Akron. <laughs> It's more more scenic than that, we'll say.
0: How many total geocaches do you think you found? I know you said before that you haven't found that many, but I guarantee it's more than what I've got in the bag.
1: Conveniently, Kyle. Uh, I have my account open so I can check. <laughs> I have 354 right now. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty solid number, right? Since college, I haven't had the, the daily time to like go out and try to get some once a week or, or something like that, so... If, if I got back into it, that you know, it, it climbs very quickly. But most of those are, you know, Geauga County. You know, it's all Northeast Ohio, basically down to down to Worcester. The farthest east from here, Cash that I got was in Interlaken, Switzerland, on vacation. The farthest west one from here is in Akihabara, Japan, in, uh, in Tokyo. So those are, those are the farthest away from home I've ever been and gotten a cache. But I always try to make a point while I'm on vacation to go, because you might as well, right?
2: <laughs> as long as you don't wind up on some ancient burial ground that some old man comes to yell at you about. Sure.
0: Well, geocaching is also kind of one iteration of this whole class of type of games that are app-based but are played out in the real world. So I'm thinking like Pokemon Go, and then there's also this other game that's kind of like a territories kind of game called Ingress that you can also play that's similar to geocaching.
1: It's actually a good idea because, you know, you're on vacation and you have plans for what you want to do, but it can just get you to go to a place you wouldn't have gone to normally. So use Akron again because it's not... You know, not the most scenic place in the world. There's tons of interesting places around Akron, as an example, that I would have absolutely never gone to if it wasn't for wanting to get, you know, another another smiley face marked on the map saying that I got it. Same with, I think, if you're overseas or on vacation, it could be a great way to sort of see... You know, do a little tour of the area and see interesting sites that people have marked out, you know, maybe without having to really plan like, oh, we're going to go do this and then that and then that. Maybe you can just make it more free form and just kind of follow the follow the map. You know, I've done that before. You don't really know where you're going to end up. You just try to get as many as you can in a day and see where it takes you.
2: Right. That's a that's another whole aspect. It's just like that Ingress game also same same principle that geocaching I guess applies it makes you go out to places and i I'd never played Pokemon go, but same principle you're like walking around these you know these places you would never go to just in order to catch a a Pokemon or capture a territory or find a geocache and it just gets you out and about and active and not just sitting around you know watching t v all day or or night,
0: whatever you're doing talking about interesting places. One time we were playing that ingress game when we were in college and there was a territory labeled maybe like two blocks away from where we lived and it was labeled Muslim shrine but it was not a Muslim shrine. I know that much. But so we go over there to capture the territory and it had like an Asian style archway and there was a giant golden chicken out front and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I never would have even known this was two blocks away from me unless I played this game. So Exactly.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's kind. Of, sometimes it's hard to just say, "Oh, I want to go out and run or something." You know, do something outside, especially if you are by yourself or something. This gives you kind of a, a goal or a task that you can do, which I think makes it easier to go out and walk around. It's also it's a fantastic uh, COVID activity, by the way, uh, because it's you know relatively low risk of of infection. There is, you know, you can do it by yourself, uh, and it gets you out of the house, which I think everybody needs. At this point (laughs) so there you go
0: (laughs) have you guys ever heard of the app called randonautica it's in a similar vein to geocaching where the whole purpose is it's supposed to be like this mind affecting matter kind of thing so the whole object is you're supposed to think of an intention so maybe like the color blue or something and then it will generate a random location near you that you can then go and explore and then whatever your intention was is supposed to somehow manifest in the new location. Have you guys ever heard about this app?
1: You know, I've heard of it, but I don't know anything beyond what you've said.
0: So the reason why I ask is that app has kind of run into some controversy with kind of the randomized exploring where there was a group of like high school kids, I think out in like Seattle, the Puget Sound area, where once they got to the location, the randomized location, they found two dead bodies. So, jeez, yeah,
1: I was. That's kind of when you started talking about controversies. That's sort of what I was thinking: are people abducting each other with this kind of? No, they're just. I mean, they're just murdering each other. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I mean, um, it, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of inherent to any uh, any game like this, or or like um, like what you mentioned is the when you when it's when it's kind of strangers leaving leaving packages behind in the woods there's potential for things to go wrong there you know even when it's accidents i know there's been some controversies in in the geocaching world um i think you know i can't think of any intentionally malicious things that have happened that there may have been but i can think of many cases where people get hurt doing it and then there's a question of liability. I know the website got in trouble for that and they had to kind of amend terms and conditions and all that. There's been a bunch of cases where people have found these items by accident and thought they were bombs as well. And they've had to come and detonate the geocache with the bomb squad. You know,
2: What a cache. What a cache to find. Yikes. Right.
1: And in general, you know, you're always supposed to uh, get permission to put these on private land and things like that well, a lot of people don't do that. They just put it out there. And then, you know, if owners find it, they don't know what it is and it can lead to, lead to issues. Not to forget that it could be, you know, you're, if you're having people wander onto these guys' private property with the assumption that they're allowed to be there, well, what if they, you know, what if the owner of the property shoots you or, or hurts you or something because they think you're trespassing? There's a lot of potential for controversy with, with these kinds of activities for sure. I know, um, I've been talked to by police probably a 10 times
2: doing this. Right, they're like they see a group of guys or a group of kids, guys or girls don't matter, like wandering around the neighborhood, like looking all over, looking through things, like hey, we see this suspicious activity and then the police have to come have to come investigate and say, "Hey, what are you what are you kids doing? Or what are you adults doing?" <laughs>
1: If anyone goes out and does this and does geocaching, you'll you'll know that you look ridiculously suspicious doing this in public because you're you're on like a city street, let's say, and you're crouched over, you're looking around under guardrails. It looks like you're putting something somewhere. You know, it it looks very suspicious. So it's it, it's not surprising that the you know, the police are sometimes called to look at it. Now, every single time they've always known what I was doing, they've understood it was just geocaching. So it's never turned into an issue, but it's it's always, you know, it's always a a thing that can happen, especially in cities.
2: I mean, that would suck if you got taken in by the police and then you had to hide your geocache in the jail cell or something.
0: (laughs) That would really amp the difficulty (laughs) of crime cache. So the GPS will get you close. Is there anything else included? Any clues, riddles to help you find the cache once you get near it?
1: It very much depends. So I should elaborate that there's some that aren't physical containers. Some of them are, are more like puzzles. Your GPS is not necessarily getting you to the container itself, but if we're just talking about traditional ones where you're finding a container, usually you can get to within no worse than about 20 feet to a geocache on GPS alone. It depends if you're in the city, you could experience really bad GPS bounce which often increases the difficulty because you can't rely on the GPS. You have to rely on your intuition to get you near, near the object. However, uh, it's sort of up to the, the placer of the cache to determine how many hints they're going to give you. So sometimes in the description of the cache, they'll leave you some, some idea or, or some clues as to where it is once you get in the general area. There's also specifically a, there's an option to add a spoiler hint it's basically like it's a hint that has scrambled letters and when you choose to click on it it'll unscramble itself if you're having trouble it's supposed to be a hint that kind of guides you to the the path however they don't have to give you any hints whatsoever they could just make it completely up to you and your intuition to find the cache once you get there yeah some of them you know some especially some of the non-traditional ones the ones that aren't uh finding containers I think they're, a lot of them are called mystery caches is the kind that they're called, but a lot of them are very hard puzzles or, or very elaborate puzzles where I, I always like the ones where it gives you, if you could picture what GPS coordinates look like, it'll be like, you know, North, a bunch of numbers and then East, a bunch of numbers, right? What they'll do is they'll, they'll replace a bunch of the numbers with letters. And then the answers to what those letters are is in a bunch of riddles or or things you have to find around a park or in an area. So they can get really elaborate, you know, well beyond just go and find a package somewhere, you know,
2: Have you ever had, so I'm guessing you've had to go through some of these puzzles. Has there been one that's been difficult enough that you haven't been able to solve? I personally like
1: the traditional one. I, I don't normally go for the puzzle ones because it can be a pain in the butt. And I like the you know it's sort of a visceral experience to go and find a physical object, right? You know you want to go find something. You don't want to solve a puzzle necessarily. Uh, so, of the of the very few mystery caches I've done, they've been not not super elaborate. If you kind of sort by difficulty though, and you start reading some of these just just to get a feel for what people are are hiding out there, you'll see some people are just straight up evil with these challenges or, or with With where they're choosing to hide these objects
2: (laughs) can you do like a combination cache where it's like here's a puzzle kind of like kyle was saying you have to take five steps this way and then you get to it and then there's another puzzle there for you to find and then you know finally down the end of the the road you you actually find the the cache object
1: it can be a hybrid of the two open to interpretation in many ways
0: so towards the beginning of our conversation, you alluded to the history of geocaching being interesting. Do you think you could elaborate on that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I think what I really like about the origin story of it is that it uh, it was basically a bunch of nerds in a chat room back in 2000 that were just really passionate about something. And they went out and started this whole thing, which, you know, it speaks to me on many levels, right? Basically, in, in 2000... Clinton was still president, I think. Is that correct Does that sound correct, Kyle?
0: <laughs> well, the Bush-Gore election was in 2000, so yeah, I think he would still be president at that point. It was it was at the end of his term, but
1: anyway, that's not important. What's important was he basically declassified or made public a feature of the GPS system that was previously only accessible to the military. And I don't remember I don't remember what that feature is called, but it essentially Drastically increases the accuracy of both your kind of vertical height and your positional data when you're reading it from a GPS. I don't know if it was an executive order or a law. What it did was it let any consumer based GPS have the same level of accuracy as what the military had. So, what that kind of means is. We're talking an error of plus hundred feet going down to plus minus fifteen feet or something like that in position so shortly after that happened, there's a group of probably in college somewhere but they were they were on a Usenet group about GPS they were kind of enthusiasts about the topic and I think one of the members started the the whole idea by placing the very first geocache out in I think it was Oregon it was somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, which was a big bucket that had a bunch of random items in it the one really famous one that was in it was actually a big big can of beans which was sort of it became a like a legendary legendary item i think it's called like the original can of beans or something and i I think it still exists somewhere but it, it was basically this bucket that he half buried next to the side of a road in i think oregon and within a few days, you know, he posted about this idea. He said, hey, guys, here's the coordinates. Now that we have this extra GPS capabilities, why don't you guys go, go try to find this thing? You know, and within a few days, a bunch of people had gone and, and found it. And just like that, it sort of exploded the idea. A bunch of people started hiding them all over wherever they lived. So, you know, the early few years, it probably was in the hundreds of caches worldwide and since then, it's sort of exploded to millions, based on the availability and the everybody's got powerful GPS in their phones nowadays. It's it's extremely accessible. The only other nugget of information I know about that story is the uh, the original geocache met a tragic fate when it uh, it was run over by a uh, a state lawnmower that was it was it was mowing the side of the highway. And it, uh, it it so sadly the original bucket no longer exists, but the the can of beans survived. So <laughs> there's there's a silver lining to
0: it. It's always disappointing when historical objects are destroyed. This might be up there with the unfortunate burning of the original roof of Notre Dame.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's a piece piece of our culture is lost. You know.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna find that can of beans.
1: Yeah, I I don't know who has it at this point. I wonder.
2: If uh, it's like in someone it's in someone's on someone's mantle or in a shelf somewhere saying, ha ha ha, I got you. It
1: should be. This is kind of an interesting thing I haven't mentioned yet is there's also some that are, they're kind of race. Two objects are racing each other to try to move faster or move farther in a certain amount of time. There's a lot of interesting takes on the entire topic of geocaching. It's, I think it's what makes it interesting is you could have so many different experiences, you know? And, and yeah, like I said, it's really cool that it started from just a bunch of enthusiasts. Uh, you know, it started from some small time, you know, not, it's not for money. There's no, you know, it's just just go outside and have fun kind of kind of thing. That's I, you know, I really like that about it.
0: All right. Well, in order to get started, where should people go to get into this hobby? So, uh, yeah, a
1: great, you know, early resources, obviously looking up uh, geocaching.com. Their website has a lot of basic intros. It has the overall map of where they're all hidden. It's also where you're going to need to make your account. So even if you use a third-party app to do the logging and finding of the geocaches, you need a, a geocaching uh, official account to actually keep track of all your stats and which ones you've found and whatnot. So you'll want to make an account there. I think this is a probably an Android user's only thing, but the app I use on my phone, to do the actual searching and logging and all that is called CGO it's C colon G E O is the, the app. I'm not sure if it's only Android still, but there's an official geocaching app. I prefer CGO because of the features it has. It's a great, great option for anyone trying to get into it. It's very easy to use. So yeah, basically just go make an account, stare at the map for a while, see where there's a place you're interested in going. Maybe it's right around where you live. Maybe it's where you were as a child, you know, growing up as a child, you, you see a bunch of stuff you never knew was there um, and then get an app to go to go log it.
2: Geocaching has made its way to Apple.
1: OK, yeah, the probably the, the official app is, is CGO on there, too.
2: Um, I don't think so. It looks like there's some third party stuff. It's a bot app, but it is possible.
1: I think, yeah, I just looked it up. I think CGO is still only on Android. However, the official geocaching app is pretty good too. There's an official app no matter what platform you're on.
0: Well, with that, thanks for coming on the podcast, Nick, and showing us the way for geocaching.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me. Get out there and uh, find some boxes in the woods, I guess.
2: <laughs> All right, Claptrap Nation. Now it's time for Kyle and I to give our afterthoughts about the episode and tell you guys whether or not we would participate in this hobby and you know just give give some opinions on that we'll start off with you Kyle what do you think about geocaching in general
0: you know I have a little bit of experience in geocaching I went a handful of times back when we were in college and I enjoyed it for the most part I didn't really have any success doing it I don't even think that we found the geocache that we were looking for but got to walk around got to see some things I think it could be cool depending on what location you're at. So like. The area I live, I live near where the Ohio and Erie Canal went through. So there's like a lot of trails and things. So I guarantee there's some pretty cool locations for geocaching near me. So I would probably give it a try. How about you? I
2: I mean, same thing. I, I think we both kind of gave our hand during the episode saying that we both participated in it. Nick was the one who introduced us both to it. I'm an outdoorsy person still to this day, and I would get back into it. I think it's definitely more fun to go as a group, just like most hobbies are. I think this one in general, you could do by yourself and it would be good. Like like Nick was suggesting, it's something, you know, if you're cooped up inside during COVID and need something to do and you don't have a significant other, or you live by yourself and don't live by family or friends, you know, you can just go out and it actually gives you, you know, a goal to go after rather than just Monotonous. I uh, I want to go for a hike or a walk and and I want to exercise a little bit. But in this case, like like I said, you get to go do something. So I'll I'll definitely say I will like to participate in again. I don't know if I'll go to the extent that Nick has gone and get over three hundred caches. I mean that's pretty impressive. I know he I know he said there's three million of them and that he's only done like three hundred. But to me that's still pretty impressive. That's like that's a lot of different things that you got to see. What do you think about the aspect like Nick said you get to go out and see parts of the area that you'd probably never see unless you did the geocaching um, hobby.
0: I kind of alluded to when we played Ingress we found that that place labeled Muslim Shrine that was not a Muslim shrine. I never would have known that was there unless we would have played that game so yeah it kind of can give you an insight into your area about Cool things that are there that you had no idea. I like that aspect of it. It's like you said, a little Easter
2: egg, and it's free. I mean, maybe you have to buy the app. I don't know. I think there's some platforms like the Android that you might be able to get everything for free. But like po- like Pokemon Go, how many people were obsessed with that? And you had to you know buy things in there. Where this app, you can just go out and just do it as normal. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, that's that's a pretty nice win there.
0: Yeah, there for a while, instead of kids setting up a lemonade stand, they were setting up like snack stands at the Pokemon gyms or whatever, being little entrepreneurs. I mean,
2: I'll give them credit for that. I like to see that kind of stuff. Definitely. One thing with a theme that we've been kind of reoccurring here in our last couple episodes is... Geocaching is just another way, a fun thing to do that you could do with your family, if you're in your 30s or 40s and are able to move. It, I get it doesn't matter what age you're. At, I, I take that back. But say you have a family and you and you guys just want to go out and be active, it it's fun for the kids to do because it, it's like a treasure hunt almost, like like Nick was alluding to. And that and I think that'd be pretty cool as a kid to to go do with your parents. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just a nerd. Who knows. <laughs>
0: All right. So I guess that'll wrap up the episode. Remember to give us a like. Maybe throw us a review. Tell us what you like about the podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a page, Claptrap Country, and then our Twitter is the exact same thing, Claptrap Country. So come follow us.
2: And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, please, guys. It'd be a really big help.
0: All right. We'll see you guys next week. Later.